Welcome to Season 2 of the Practicing Presence Podcast, where spiritual formation is fueled through a variety of practices rather than a single prescriptive time of devotion, where we discuss different spiritual practices that help us be more present with God, others, and ourselves. What's going on, practitioners? Hey, friends. How are we doing? We are going to continue our conversation of how to read the Bible, essentially, is what we're talking about. Yeah, what I want to talk about today is how to glean truth from the Bible. Mm. Um, Clayton, how were you taught to glean truth from the Bible? <laughs> I wasn't. I kind of taught myself. And what, what did you make up that the correct way to glean truth was? In my most conservative times, I realized that this is not actually going to line up with where I was at in life. Um, but it was literally just to read the text and feel how I was feeling about it um, and pray over it until like I felt like I got something. Um, and sometimes it's super obvious and sometimes it wasn't. Um, and honestly, that's still more or less how I do it. Um, it just looks different now. Okay. Where did you most commonly read from? The Gospels. Okay, good. So when we talk about truth in the Bible, well, when we talk about truth in general, what we're having is we're having a conversation called epistemology, the mm. study of knowledge, the way in which we make up an understanding of knowledge, or truth. There's a lot of epistemological and philosophical categories that someone could fall in. Mm. I, and I think you share this with me, definitely ascribe to a very postmodern oh, yeah. idea of like how to get truth. Um, I don't really, I don't necessarily reject objective truth because I do think there is an, an objective truth. That and God Jesus. exists. Yeah. Like, I think there are objective truths. I'm not saying that meta narrative in general is all bad. I'm not fully given over to personal journey in that way. But I do think that truth is contextualized and individualized mm -hmm. within a people. We're all just reading the Bible. There you go. We're all just reading the Bible. And so I do have a very postmodern epistemology in that way. So, with that, there are two main truth categories in the Bible. You have what's called propositional truth, and then you have what's called narratival or poetic truth, you know, mm -hmm. literary truth. Um, do you want to take a gander at what each of those mean and how you think they show up in the Bible? So narratival truth, I would mean, I would think would mean that David was king. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like it is in the narrative and it is a true thing, right? Okay. Um, this happened in the narrative. Okay. Um, what was the other one? Propositional truth. Propositional truth. Things that are underlying that you might have to dig for. Yeah. Like it is a proposed truth. Yeah, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Propositional truth are the kind of truths that you would find in epistles. Mm. Propositional truths are the truths that we glean from a letter of Paul written to a church that's 
struggling. Mm. And Paul says, keep yourself from idols. Mm. Propositional truth. Um, to some extent, your example, David was king, propositional truth. Oh, okay. Because it's a proposition of you know what's happening. But it's narrative. It's in a narrative. But it's still, it's still technically propositional truth. Okay. Narrative truth would be, or narratival truth would be, Hey, I saw in Genesis 12 that God starts this covenant with Abraham. Let me read the rest of the narrative and then try to figure out how that covenant matters to me. Mm. It feels no, backwards. Well, because the difference is propositional truth gives you the answer. Narrative truth proposes that there's an answer for you to find. You get it? There's no one, mm. one for one, right? What's the truth to glean from the story of Joseph? I don't know. It depends on who you ask and who read it and how they read it and what they thought was the most important part of it. Yeah. Right? Um, why is there so many different atonement theories? Because we're, pulling, <laughs> because we're pulling them from narrative truths, right? Yeah, fair I enough. Mean, we're, we're, what narratival truth is, is it's this construct that there's a narrative being told and that narrative is deemed worthy of having truth, but that truth is not explicitly, explicit, explicitly, gosh dang it, explicitly stated. And so you have to pull out your truth. You have to glean your truth based on how you see yourself in the narrative or how you see the narrative impacting you. Mm. Do you understand? Mm. Okay. So let's talk about the pros and the cons of both propositional truth and narratival truth. Okay. First of all, I'm much more given over to narratival truth. I, as somebody who believes in the postmodern um, epistemology, I absolutely want the individual person, the contextualized people, I want each individual voice speaking in. Mm. And so because of that, I much prefer the narrative because the way in which you glean truth is so much more vast than a propositional truth, sure. right? For instance, if I tell you the story of Gideon, mm -hmm. right? Hit me with the story of Gideon. What's the story of Gideon? Some dude approached by an angel. <laughs> a judge, not just yeah. some dude, a judge of Israel, but okay. Yeah, I mean, at the time, he was just some dude. Um, I mean, fair, but yeah. Some poor guess, dude. Yeah, some dude. Yeah, he was fair. just some dude approached by an angel, told to kill a bunch of people, <laughs> and then he lays this fleece out to figure out how he should do it, and then watches some dudes drink some water <laughs> to figure out who should go and who shouldn't. Um, and then they go kill a bunch of people because actually they don't actually... They break some glass that's sitting on some torches and freak out the Philistines and they kill each other. And that's the end of the story. Okay, maybe I shouldn't use Gideon because that was the worst summary story of Gideon ever. It was, Nothing you said was untrue. It's just a terrible storytelling. Um, I mean, you asked me how I remember the story. Or you asked me to tell the story. I told the story. All right, let me do a different one. Jonah. Tell me the story of Jonah. Okay. I could tell the story of Jonah the same way. But you can, but go ahead. The story of Jonah is this guy who had a call 
and started running from the call. Um, was afraid to go to Nineveh um, because of who he was um, and what the message he was trying to bring. Um, and so God intervened divinely. Yeah. Um, and caused a big storm. And Jonah ended up getting swallowed by this big fish. Um, and while he sat in this fish. For three days. For three days. He died. Yeah. He died. Yep. He was dead. There's a reason that Jesus quotes this story. He didn't just live in the belly of a fish for three days. Can you imagine what that, st- that fish, that big fish's stomach bile and stomach acid would be eating him away? Mm-hmm. Nah, he died. Yeah. He dead. Proceed. And in the belly of the fish, he does die in many ways. No, in the, yeah, yeah. dead. Mortality, dead. Yeah. And then ends up getting thrown up on the beach at Nineveh. Thrown up on dry land, yeah. Um, by a big fish. By a by big fish. mind you, a big fish. Yeah. Big fish don't get on dry land, but. Yeah. A very, very large fish mm-hmm. came and vomited Jonah on dry land. This is a beached whale we're talking about. <laughs> beached <here>. whale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Is that not? Exactly. <laughs> And he throws Jonah up, and there is a resuscitation narrative there, kind of like there has to be. Uh, um, well, there's at least well, it's yeah. implied. Well, it's yeah. I don't know how the ancient world, the ancient world would have viewed Jonah. Well, it's not important, but yeah, they would have seen something like a resurrection kind of narrative. Mm. And when Jonah gets there, he realizes he doesn't have a choice but to do what God asked of him. And so he does it and does it well. He does it petty. Yeah, he does it petty. He does it very petty. But he does it and he does it well. Uh, does he gets he, the job done. Does he? Because then the final chapter is he goes and sits up on a hill waiting for them not to repent and for God to destroy it. I'm not sure that Jonah does it well. I think Jonah does it. Mm. I think Jonah is a little... I don't know. I'm not a big fan. Um, But this is a great example of narratival truth. Right. Because I'm gleaning truths from that narrative that you're not gleaning, Mm. and you're gleaning truths that I'm not gleaning. Yeah. Why? Because our stories, our perspectives, the way in which life has happened upon us and the Holy Spirit has been active in us in our own pursuit of divine likeness, that when we read these stories— the truths that God is working on and communicating to us are different for each person because of where we are in life and because of how we've experienced life. Mm. Narratival truth is the truth that allows me with full confidence to say, there's not only one right answer to this. Yeah. I get that because of narratival truth. Now, propositional truth. What do we do with propositional truth? Propositional truth. Book of Leviticus. Mm -hmm. Don't get tattoos. Don't get piercings. Yep. Um, Don't eat blood. Don't eat pork. 
Don't eat shellfish. Don't eat fish without scales. Yeah. All propositional truths. Um, how do you feel about those propositional truths? Whack. <laughs> Clayton just said whack. Why do you feel whack about them? Um, I mean, at the time it made sense, I guess. Maybe. Sort of. I don't know. Something was happening at the time that that was something that needed to happen, but in today's context, they're irrelevant. Yeah, I agree. And so what I hear you saying from that is propositional truth is fixed while his narratival truth is fluid. Hmm. Fair enough. Is that is that a good? Yeah. Okay. So with that, in propositional truth, you have, as we just said, those are all propositional truths. But we also have universal mm-hmm. propositional truths. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Right? So how do you determine between a universal propositional truth and a cultural or contextual propositional truth? I would say how it ref- how it relates back to the image of God. Okay. Um, are you doing anything to harm that image um harming another person harming yourself um directly speaking harm against god um yeah there's definitely one way right uh and i've you know we've talked about it a lot that mm. measuring these things against the character of Jesus as a person of divinity yeah that's 100% an acceptable way yeah what i might say is you do it against the narrative okay you judge the propositional truth against the narratival truth um because here's what you know we talked about the major markers and movements throughout the uh, the biblical story last week those movements and markers matter. I'm getting major movements and marker markers tattooed on my arm for my Bible story sleeve. The way in which the narrative is set up and the propositional truths exist within that narrative are the indicator of what's universal and what's cultural or contextual. Harming the image of God, right? Mm. I can pull that both from the narrative and just from the truth that I glean about God from the narrative, yeah. right? But then there are these other propositional truths, like the tattoos, like the you know all the the things related to health and safety and all those things. Well, maybe we can look and go. Well, we've progressed beyond that. Sure. Right. In the same way. It's a propositional truth that exists in the Bible that it's acceptable to own slaves. Mm-hmm. It's a narratival truth in the Bible that it's acceptable to own slaves. Yeah. And yet, in today's world, very few people think that's an acceptable thing to do. Mm-hmm. Because narratival truth is fluid. 
Do you know when liberation theologians started fighting against um, like Jim Crow and racism in the church? You know what truth they didn't use? Propositional truth. No. You know what truth they did use? Narratival truth. Can you think of a place where liberation theologians, people who were trying to liberate their people out of slavery and racism, can you think of a text, a narrative, that might be impactful and meaningful to them? Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, colored coat. Joseph? Joseph. Why? Um, he was a slave. That was taken to the top. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Yeah. Um, that's not the one that most of them use, though. Mm. Um, most of them, because remember, this is macro, not individual. Right. Um, most of them use the Exodus story. Right. God liberated his their own people from slavery. Yeah. Um. That's a narratival truth. On the issue of slavery, a propositional truth narrative, a propositional truth reading would have given you God's okay with you owning slaves. Mm -hmm. A narratival truth reading would have given you, I think God values the image of God and its freedom and liberty. Mm -hmm. The two things will and can stand in contradiction to one another, yeah. even as the Bible stands on its own merit. What we have to understand is that the good part of propositional truth is that it's black and white. Do this, don't do that. Yeah. It's easy. It's right there laid out for us on a silver platter. The bad part of it is, is it's easy. Mm. It's laid out for us right there on a silver platter. And so it's real easy to go to First Peter when it says, women, don't adorn yourself with makeup and fine jewelry. Or, don't adorn yourself with fine jewelry. It's real easy to take that propositional truth and have women walk around in a way that they don't feel beautiful. They don't feel empowered. They don't feel as if they're living their best life. But it's a propositional truth. Yeah. Whereas if you read the narrative... The narrative time and time and time and time and time and time and time again seems to be trying to empower and affirm women. Yeah. Propositional truth, the value of it is that it's easy. The downfall of it is that it's easy. Narratival truth, the negative side of it. It's really easy to read whatever answer out of narratival truth that you want to glean, right? As long as you can see an answer in a story, you can make that story, you can read that story to provide you that answer. It's very easy to manipulate the text that way. Now, it's also very easy to manipulate the text and propositional truth too. Like, don't hear me saying that narratival truth is the only way to manipulate the text. No, you can manipulate the text in any way. That is a downside of narratival truth, though, is that you can basically make it read however you want, right? Someone could take narratival truth and look at the Canaanite conquest narrative and go, oh, manifest destiny. God's okay with that. Let's go. Christian nationalism. Hoorah. 
Right. Um, that's terrible. Mm. Do not hear me advocating that. That is God awful. However, that is an option with narratival truth. Right. Um, the benefit of narratival truth. And this, I couldn't, I couldn't communicate this any better. The benefit and the most important benefit of narratival truth is that it gives voice back to every individual person. If you are a person that is capable of reading a narrative, you are a person that is capable of gleaning truth from that narrative. <clears throat> narratival truth is the best truth given back the voice, giving back the voice to every individual person. Narratival truth because propositional truth gives you a truth, which most people try to say is universal truth, from a single person or a single perspective. Narratival truth, which is the preferred Jewish form of communicating truth, might I mind you, right? Think back over the Old Testament, how much of it's narrative and how much is it propositional. Yeah. Jews love narratival truth because... Jews loved the ability of lore. Jews loved the legend. Jews loved the myth. Jews loved the ability because, remember, it's a communal people. Mm -hmm. It's a community of them. They love being able to see themselves in it. They love being able to see themselves as a beneficiary of the covenant. They love being able to see themselves as a person of faith because I've been circumcised. I've done these things. I, I'm a part. I'm an inside because I can see myself in the story. You see, Jews preferred narratival truth, but because we grew up being taught by a bunch of people that were products of the Enlightenment and modernity, they valued propositional truth. And when I first started understanding the Bible and reading the Bible, narratival truth wasn't really truth that you could glean things from. Narratival truth was history that told us how we got to the message of Jesus. Well, House Church, what I would like to challenge you to do is I would like you to challenge yourself to be a person of the narrative. We are called Christians, by the way, little Christ. Maybe the best way to reflect that is by seeing ourselves as a character in the story of the Christ. Thanks for listening to the Practicing Presence podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.